Finally, a breach was forced. An enormous convulsion of stricken foliage whose drawn-out moans awakened the distant loquacious echoes hidden in the mountains. But as we instantly tore at the clinging affectionately Lianas to free our arms and legs, all at once we felt the carnal moon, the moon of warm, beautiful thighs, languidly surrendering herself to our weary hearts. A cry went up in the airy solitude of the upper plateau. Let's murder the moonlight! Some of us ran to nearby waterfalls. Gigantic wheels were hoisted, and turbines transformed the velocity of the waters into electromagnetic spasms that climbed up wires suspended on high poles until they reached luminous, humming globes. So it was that three hundred electric moons with rays of blinding chalky whiteness cancelled the old green queen of love affairs, and the military railroad was built. Hello and welcome to The Manifest Image, the podcast about art and the manifestos that have shaped its development. Each week, we bring you a discussion about a manifesto, its authors, and the art they made from the perspective of people as they read them at that time. I'm Mario de la Garza. And I'm Thomas Greengrass. This week, Murder the Moonlight, written by F.D. Marinetti, the caffeine of Europe, as he liked to call himself, and released on the 11th of April, 1909, continuing the futurist fascination with 11s. So that was, that was a, quite a reading, Thomas. Oh, thank you. Thanks. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah. I should be in the theatre. <laughs> I should be in the theatre. But yeah, just briefly with the titles, it's it's a problem, this title, because mm-hmm. sometimes it's translated, the, the translation is rendered as, let's murder the moonlight, let's kill the moonshine, let's murder the moonshine. All these variations, it's not quite standard yet. No, it isn't. Uh, in our edition, which is the Futurism and Anthology, we have Let's Murder the Moonlight. Yeah. <laughs> I've also read, um, although... If it's wrong, don't blame me. Blame a journalist at Time Magazine that wrote this several years ago. Apparently, it's a title from Rambo. Mm. Murder of the Moonlight. You, 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 you couldn't find it. No, I couldn't find it. I was, I was trying to look for it, and I was trying to look for variations. Just, uh, just looking up moonlight, moonshine, moon. Shine moon. <laughs> yes, I, I couldn't moon quite find glow. it. I, uh, from his collected poems, I can't see it. Again, different translation issues might creep in. Um, but it might be from a letter or something. Or maybe... This journalist's a liar. Yeah, maybe, yeah. but well, I'm not going to damn, say that. Damn, Thomas dragging it's, old it's magazines. Not, it's not, uh, it's not anyway. libel. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's not libel. No, no, they don't have libel on podcasts. No. Good. I don't oh, know if good. you knew that. No, you can Excellent. say anything you want. Right, <laughs> hold on. Crazy. If I say it, it's slander, but what if I say it on a recording? You say it on a podcast? Yeah. It's technically not slander. It's fine. You can say whatever you want on a podcast. Yeah, but would it then be slander or libel? <laughs> sorry, sorry. You don't have to think about that. Oh, see, this is what happens when you don't say, Thomas, you have a synopsis, don't you? But, Thomas, you have a synopsis, don't you? Yes, I do. Thank you for asking. <laughs> so this manifesto is a little bit different insofar as it's not really a straightforward manifesto. It's actually a far more prosy literary uh, narrative piece. Um, it's split up into four parts. The first... And the last are the most disjointed. Um, the first one uh, is the most heavily in terms of the theory. And then the second and third and fourth tell the story. But the fourth one, you know, you almost reach the climax in the third. So the fourth seems a little bit odd to have it bolted on. But 
here is the rundown. It's mostly separated into evenings, nights mm-hmm. and evenings. Yeah. So in the first part, we have this captain or commander or general giving a rousing speech to his soldiers. That's the tone of it. It's Marinetti who's talking directly to us, uh, but that's the kind of style he's going for. Um, uh, and it's the most, as I said, it's the most overtly theoretical section, and it celebrates all of his favorite themes of blood and war. scorn for women, love of war. But we also have some introductions of uh, the cities of paralysis and gout. We also get the introduction of Gorisankar uh, and the Futurist Railroad. In the second, we have uh, Buzzi and Carvaccioli, Marinetti and others. Uh, they're in this field and they decide to build this Futurist Railroad. But they work out that they need an army. So they release all the mad from an asylum and they destroy the cities of gout and paralysis. In the third section, night descends and the moon rises and a futurist madman is accidentally sacrificed and tiredness starts to set in. So they decide we're going to kill the moon and the railroad is then built. And that was how we began. Mm -hmm. Then by the fourth section, they end up chasing the survivors of gout and paralysis across the the Ganges uh, and uh, see the ocean. They try to enlist the help of the ocean uh, and they succeed. Uh, so they, in their lions and w- with their lions and panthers, that's their cars, of course, uh, uh, and then they decide to make planes out of pagodas and sailboats. So they're in all these machines flying over with the ocean behind them, trying to run down and chase down and battle the survivors of paralysis and gout. But we, we get these very strange images and lines in the last, uh, in the last section because... Paralysis and gout end up being these green forests and sheep and these numberless masses. It's, it's a, it's a never-ending fight. They can't actually win it. But they carry on fighting, uh, and it's just this violent imagery. They, and, Marinetti... And it, it ends in a battle, right? It does. It, it, Again. It ends with Marinetti and his, his chums in, this, in his planes, landing in the thick of it, uh, and then deciding... Well, they're just there in the middle of it, firing away with very sexual imagery to end. Yes. Uh, and this hope and, of warming up the tired sun. And then it's over. And then, then it's over. And we we it's end over. with this just in the middle of battle, hoping to... Thank uh, you very much for tuning in there to the go. manifest image this week. <laughs> Next week, we come... Kinda... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so general ideas, it's packed full of automobilism, war... Restive wakefulness, the old <laughs> slap and the punching fist. All of that. Yeah, zoomorphic imagery, although that gets a little bit of a twist. Um, touches of colour theory, and in terms of his style, I mean, it's rich in ellipsis and but it's, hyperfora. It's quite, it's quite strange. It's quite strange stylistically. It's difficult to tell who's, who's speaking at mm. times. So it does seem to be this general that we assume is Marinetti. Yeah. And it, it is, because he's, he's talking at you, but at the soldiers. But then it, when there aren't quotation marks, when it's not a speech, he is also kind of narrating the violent travails of the futurists, the madmen, but also talking at you. And it switches very, very loosely between one and the other. So it ends up being a very kind of fluid narrative no well as i was saying like the first section and the second and second third and fourth they could almost be separate they could almost be completely different pieces it's it's 
very strange. There, uh, as I said, the first one is the most heavy in terms of the theory. So I don't know whether you want to start, Ariel, uh, in terms of are there any particular sections that you would like to address in the first? Yeah, I think so. There are a few... So the, the first is very violent. Mm. First is very violent. There's that section in the middle, I think it's the second and third, where there is a small ebb in the violence, and then, and then we're back to the violence really intensely. And the first time I read this, I quite liked it. I found yeah. it a bit... The violence a bit off-putting, perhaps, mm. but not that much. And then on a second reading, I found it a lot more off-putting. And then on a third reading, I found it less off-putting. Mm. But then more off-putting when I thought about it. <laughs> so where are you on it now? <laughs> <laughs> it's off-putting. It's okay. off-putting. The violence is off-putting. It's quite wonderfully written. So I, I quite yeah. liked it a lot. And in the first part... Well, do you want to read it out? Yeah, I read, read out the, the beginning, just the very, start. The, the very start of it, because again, it's it's strange, and especially to think of, to think of this as a manifesto is such mm. a weird, different one yeah. from any of the ones we've seen. It arouses the reader into fighting. Are you just saying that because of the sex stuff at the end? No, <laughs> <laughs> no. That was a yes. Anyway. <laughs> Hail, great incendiary poets, you futurist friends! Hail, Paolo Buzzi, Federico de Maria, Enrico Cavacchioli. Corrado Govini, Libero Altomare. Let's flee the city of paralysis, devastate Kaut, and lay the great military railroad along the flanks of Gori Sankar, summit of the world. You seem to think Gori Sankar doesn't exist. Uh, well, no, this is not what I think. Someone else that I was reading, they say that this is a word that Marinetti invented. It's suggestive of uh, some sort of... Um, Vaguely, uh, Sanskrit. vaguely, vaguely Sanskrit. Sanskrit, something. Or yeah, other. well, because I mean, the piece is roughly mm. uh, a retelling of the Bhagavad Gita, mm. um, where you have Arjuna and the Pandava brothers, uh, with the help of Krishna, battle the uh, Kauravas, um, and one of the names for the Pandavas was uh, the sons or children of the sun, and uh, Kauravas were uh, sons or children of the moon. Uh, so there's something something about that. And there's a lot of religious imagery in this one, isn't there? Well, uh, Hindu is not... Don't think of Christian imagery. None of that, I don't think. I don't think there's any kind of monotheistic... Gout imagery. and paralysis? That's How is that? That's not gout. I mean, what? So okay. Sodom and Gomorrah type of thing? True. True. The Where Sodom and Gomorrah he's, is he's true. He's smiting these two towns that he sees to be the pinnacle of sinfulness for himself. That's true. That's very true. But yeah. it's not developed. We don't get this pinnacle of salt. We don't get any con- condemnation from God. Instead, why... I mean, of course, he's a poet. It's rich imagery. He's using these metaphors. Why the cities of paralysis and gout? Why are they charging these cities and trying to destroy all their inhabitants? Why paralysis, perhaps, more is more obvious because... Energy is such a big thing for them. It's the core. And paralysis is the opposite. It's inactivity. It's, it's, it's a docile life. Um, it's lethargy. Paralysis is the opposite of what they want. Mm-hmm. But then gout is not so obvious. No, I think it is. Gout is symbolic of the excesses of a past aristocracy that yeah. lingers on, bloated, contributing nothing, and constantly eating and it, drinking wine. Yeah, red meat and red wine. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. But the rich man's disease, I think it was. That's what they call it. Yeah. yeah. 
Even though, even though I, I have to say this to, to people that have gout nowadays, it's turns out to be a lot more genetic and complicated. And mm. you, you know, Ariel speaks from experience. No, no, <laughs> Himself, no. Very It is a, it is a dear friend a long of mine who line. has gout. Okay, comes from a long line of gout habits. <laughs> 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 bloated gouty academics yeah okay but i do want to say just one thing about Gorisankai here before because i know that you want to say something about it um he says it's the summit of the world by the fourth section we will get suggestions that Gorisankar could also be a city because it has walls the walls of Gorisankar. well i think Gorisankar then is is more a, a mountainous ring around a place almost but Gorosankar is he's the in a, as if he's in a valley. But Gorosankar is the valley. Is, is the mountain, right? Yeah, but it's a big mountain, like a big circular mountain. <laughs> big circular one. <laughs> ah, it, it, volcano. It, 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 so, so I, I have to be. I have to be completely, completely honest. When when we get to that point in the in the in the narrative, um, when he is with all the madmen and the sea, and they are flying towards those masses of horrible people mm. that are now flanking the skirts of Gorisankar, the great mountain thing. Mm. I, I, and he says, oh, I'll take aim at 800 feet, which is like so, so short. But back then, you know, their planes were quite rickety, <laughs> quite rickety machines. <laughs> There's 30 feet in the air. Yeah, it's, this Honestly, is, you this can is pick a, them out of the sky. <laughs> yeah, you, you really <laughs> Reach could, up and grab this them. Is, this is a constant, this is a constant with the futurists where... They're so impressed by everything, by speed. And you think, I mean, how fast was a car going in, like, 1908? About 40. Crawling. No, a lot <laughs> less. They were so old and bad. They the, were new at the time. Yeah, but there's this, like, constant subversion. Like, it's, it's a lot slower than you think, and mm. that gives it a slightly comedic air to my eyes. But anyway, I was about to embarrass myself, Thomas, and you stopped me. I was embarrassed myself because my brain immediately went to that really terrible movie... Um, did you ever see it? Twenty twelve. Oh God! What were it's horrible. I'm sorry to be it, mentioning right? it, but was it Sean Bean in that? Maybe. Uh, no, it was uh, John Cusack. <laughs> <laughs> and they're they're in the end. They go on these big boats, and the seas rise, and they crash into Everest because the seas have risen so much. Obviously, a great film inspired by the writings of. <clears throat> FT <laughs> uh, most certainly not uh, but just one last thing I'd like to say before Many we move case, on but, but oh. Gorisankar does seem to be a real mountain ah at last uh, a 7,000 7,000 and some meter mountain so very, very big very tall okay. in the Himalayas but just from that yeah what you but, just but it's there. entirely material it, it, yeah. the Gorisankar thing doesn't matter yeah. this was a completely pointless yes. digression yeah but you did mention the laying of the great military railroad Along the flanks of Gorisankar. And so I did? Well, you, well, you read it out. Yes, I did. You're right. Oh, my gosh. Right. <laughs> a lot more uncouth today. I don't know what's well, happening. I didn't mention it. I read it Ariel out. Ariel has a, a headache. Difference. You must forgive him. <laughs> he does have a headache. You're saying, he saying, Thomas, do yeah. we have to do this? <laughs> I can't have a nap for an hour. No, we have to work. But, yeah, uh, no, it's interesting to me, though, that the railroad is along the flanks of it. Yeah. And not across it, not through it, not going following it to the summit. It's encircling it as if this this railroad is almost oppressive. Uh, is and I think that you get that as well with the ocean imagery, imagery later on as well, where it's constantly encircling them. 
that there's this sense of inevitability. Mm-hmm. Um, Although, although it's not, he's not consistent. He he really does mix his metaphors, and we'll come to this and, later. And on. also, when when you're talking about the ocean, what I was saying about the form of narration and declamation, or the, the, that the general is declaim is saying mm-hmm. things, really gets mixed up in a way that that, that there it becomes really difficult to tell what's happening. Yeah, time seems to slide about. Things seem to happen. They seem to move places from one sentence to the next. It, it's quite strange. Well, because the first, strange. the yeah. first part, I don't think takes place. It, it's it's in no time. Yeah, it's in no time. It's just he's being it's, it's very a speech. fast and lo- yeah, exactly. It's a speech. Um, but we see lots of these. This imagery we get this very creative. We already I mentioned when I uh, first read out the uh, introductory section, uh, the old green of the moon, and here we have. Um, the sun struck us in the face with its great torch of flaming purple uh, and we have these swayed between the wine-coloured clouds so we have this very strange um, apocalyptic well uh, Apocaly- I mean th- th- think of it wine-coloured clouds uh, true true. or, they're, they're or is it more dark. lovely and no, I don't think that. No, I, I no, I don't think that. That, but it's he does have this. This he sees things very, very strangely. Yeah. The colours are not what you think that they ought to be, which gives you something of an idea. The sun struck us in the face with its great torch of flaming purple, then flared out, vomiting itself into the infinite. Mm. And of course, we'll see next week and the week after with uh, the futurist painters how colour theory influences them with divisionism and pointillism that they get from impressionists. And it's, and it's funny that you mentioned the divisionism because they, they, I feel like they do like purple. Like it, it, it'll, it'll appear in many, many, many ways. Sort of hues, really strange colour, um, almost synesthetic yeah. experiences with colours. Well, go back to the first ma- manifesto. Mm-hmm. Uh, think about it that even uh, oh no sorry it's not the first it's one of the subsequent ones that we're going to look <gasps> at in weeks to come but fiend. I, sorry I've just remembered yeah but um, they say that one of their things is that their colours even the darkest imagery that they have in any of their paintings will be brighter than the m- brightest of, of classical works yeah so Expect very strange understandings of colour. Um, what this actually signifies, I think, we'll come to in the future. But for the moment, it's, it suffices to say that even when in the writing, you've got this, this strange touch. Strange touch, yeah. But we, uh, early on as well, we also get whirlwinds of aggressive dust, blinding mixture of sulphur, potash and silicates through the windows of the ideal fusion of a new solar orb that, sh- that soon we shall see shining. So again, you've got this idea of the modern person, the hybrid person. Um, what's interesting is the idea of a new solar orb. We've already said that there's a suggestion that, like the panda, uh, pandavas, children of the sun, mm-hmm. here that Marinetti and his followers are... Celebrate, uh, celebrating the sun and it ends with them trying to revitalize the sun but right in this first section we get the idea of a new solar orb well there's there's this there's this idea that the sun is in art and artistic feeling 
somehow subservient to the moon, somehow having to tend to the moon and lend its light to the moon so the moon can shine and inspire poets to, I don't know, let their hair down at night and say nice things and give flowers to people. That's not bad. And so they want to, so they want to, to re revitalize the sun and let it shine for itself and not have to help others. I think that's interesting. If you think of light as creativity and and the act Mm -hmm. of creation, you might think that, well, that's all well and good, but you need, you need to actually have a form and structure it. You can't just have raw creation, you know, you need to have the form and then the creation is useful. So yes, creativity is subservient to the form. Whereas Marinetti, of course, will say in other manifestos, and has already been alluding to it, that no, 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 pure creation is what you need. It's just pure energy. You need any whim, fulfill it now. Get it yeah. done now. Yeah, maybe that's, that's part of, of their hatred of the moonlight. Well, we'll get on to that later on. But um, mm. it's, it's fabulous. You said that you were sometimes scared or put off by yes by the war yes well here you go my dear fellow cowards i cried turning towards the inhabitants of paralysis who were heaped below us an enormous mass of angry howitzers awaiting our future cannons cowards cowards why all this howling like cats skinned alive are you afraid that we'll set fire to your hovels not yet after all we'll need something to keep warm with next winter And it carries on into, yes, we're going to destroy all tradition, museums, fill in canals. Mm-hmm. But no, so we're just carrying on that idea that, and diving deeper uh, into this idea that, yes, it is about arousing this, this fight. And yeah, if you're reading it and put off by it, you're called out for it. No, I am definitely called mm-hmm. out for it. Well, don't you know that our nerves demand war and disdain women because we fear that supplicating arms will entangle our <laughs> knees on the morning of departure? <laughs> there you go. Why he's do they so hear vain. It? He's yeah. so vain sometimes. He thinks so much of himself. <laughs> well, this idea of the nerves demanding war and, and why do they hate women here? Well, it's because they're around someone's knees when they're trying to go out and go to war. Oh, they're not going to let us leave. No. But... There does seem to be some kind of a place for women in his in his wild, uh, warring society. I guess if if they let go our knees and join us yeah. in the battle, then it's fine. Well, th- very much so because mm-hmm. by by the second and third parts, it's very clear that he says, yeah, the madmen and the mad women, the disheveled women who were all fighting in the, with their panthers and lions, and eventually him with his friends <laughs> in the plain. So it is, it is interesting that they actually feature and they are welcomed into mm. this army. But it's interesting. So another thing, he, at the start, doesn't think they have it in them immediately. Mm-mm. They can't do it just like that. They need someone else. They need the madmen. And I, I'm not sure I understand that. I'm not sure I understand. I, he might need reinforcements, but he seems to imply that there's there's more to it than that, that, that they're not yet proper futurists. Who, who do you mean? The, the Marinetti, the, the, the person talking. Oh, the Marinetti? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because why do they need... Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, because you're absolutely right. When yes, we but move alas, into second... But alas, we won't be equal to the great task of the futurist railroad. Our hearts are still full of filthy rubbish, peacock's tails, pompous weathercocks. 
fancy perfumed handkerchiefs. And we still haven't emptied our brains of the lugubrious ants of wisdom. We need madmen. Let's go and free them. No, this is... What's a weathercock? Uh, That's the real question. (laughs) I think a weathercock is one of those... uh, uh, I think they're the plate cockerels that you get on the tops of certain buildings, and depending on how the Uh, wind is blowing... Of course, of course. Right, right. I think it's one of those, unless this is another meaning. Do you think he's just describing his kitchen? Again? (laughs) (laughs) No. He's just full of, like, peacock's tails and, like, a hideous weathercock salt shaker or something? No, but I think that's the idea of it's the old architecture. It's all the standard old cities and it's the comfort and sentimentality. And what, you're worried if it's a bit windy? Uh, (laughs) What's your your problem? No, no, no. So I I think it'd be something like that. But no, it's really interesting that you mention this um, because it's true. They, it begins with uh, uh, Enrico Cavaccioli, Mm -hmm. who... They're all lying down, preparing to have a rest just before they build a railroad. And he has this nightmare uh, where there are these b- bees buzzing around in front of him and causing him grief. And so this is where we first see the zoomorphic language change a little bit. Because in the first manifesto, the natural language is always used in a good thing. He's, mm-hmm. he's relying on a naturalistic fallacy. He's hating just certain parts of the artificial world and those that he likes. He actually uh, uses vital organic material uh, in order to describe it. Here, for the first time, we seem to have uh, uh, these living organic entities described in, uh, being used to describe more negative things. Mm-hmm. And so this one is the beginning of it getting muddied. And eventually, I think it's dropped from all of the subsequent manifestos. But for the moment, it's true that they get this idea, we're going to build a futurist railroad. They've got the ambition, they've got the passion, they've got the idea. Mm-hmm. And yet they realise that they're not up to the task. And so... They need an army of mad people, people who are outside of society, people who think differently, people who aren't, who are prepared for a bit of chaos, raw chaos, that others who are sentimental and ordered just cannot abide uh, and cannot live by. And that's, you know, it goes against the raw energy and the raw whims being fulfilled. They need the pure ones. Mm. The old ones are dead and we need the pure ones, absolutely. So... It's, it's, it's strange. They, they need an army for practical reasons. They need to convince the masses. But they also need them to kind of keep them in check, So oddly I, enough. I see. I also... But I see... Not a tension, but it's different that in the other manifesto, there's this playing to the everyman, to the everyman behind the steering wheel yeah. that's, that's making society anew and, you know, industrializing and so on. But here... That's not who, who they're after. You know, they, they, don't, they don't say, let's go to the factories and... Well, yeah, because that'd be, that'd be too communist, wouldn't it? Well, isn't it, though? Because, I mean, they do say that all of the mad people are armed with cars. They're all armed and seated on these panthers So, uh, yes, and but they are quite literally mad people. Well, he says that they go to, uh, to the asylum we and kill two the walls. psychiatrists. We approach the walls with so- flooded with solar joy, flanking a sinister valley where with a cry, 30 metal cranes hoisted railroad cars full of smoking sheets, useless linens of those pure ones already cleansed of every stain of logic. Two psychiatrists appeared, categorically on the threshold of the palace. I held nothing in my hand except a blinding automobile headlight, and it was this polished brass handle that I dealt them both their death. <laughs> so the question is here, did he beat them to death with it, or did he just shine it in their eyes? 
shine. <laughs> Die. Uh, take that. <laughs> oh, it's of course, psychiatrist well used to art students. Excuse, <laughs> excuse me, Ariel. This is actually very sophisticated writing. I think you'll find that this is foreshadowing here. We see that the psychiatrists are killed in the very same way that the moon will be killed later why, on. Why is it? Why is it two <clears throat> psychiatrists? I. Why ha- having read, having well, yeah, is it like the cyclist thing? Like, why two psych? So the cyclists, I have my theory, the dithering, you know, whatever. Yeah. Why the two psychiatrists? Why not like three or four? Maybe they're really why, why not? Why not a, a gaggle or I, I don't know what a you gaggle. call it. A, a gaggle. A or gaggle perhaps, of swans. Perhaps a murder of psychiatrists. I don't, I don't know what you call them. Um, well, like crows. That's good, yeah. No, yeah. I like a murder of psychiatrists. Or a gang of psychiatrists. I don't know. But why not one of those? Why just two? They couldn't have taken I'm on saying any more he, I'm than saying, two. I'm saying he's... he's <laughs> they couldn't have taken on any more than two. He only had a light. He got the one light. <laughs> Come on, Ariel, don't, don't set these crazy questions. It's starting to seem like a miracle that he wasn't arrested at some point. <laughs> <laughs> I think they thought that he was a, a visionary and a dreamer. <laughs> Although apparently he did set, set upon people. He, I wouldn't be at all surprised if there is also an idea that he did just hit them with a light. If there's any truth to this, he probably would have done. He probably would have done. Well, at least he would have told people he hit them with a light. Oh, no, but uh, other people have said that um, he, when he, he got, yeah, when the futurist paint, some of the futurist painters got, and we'll mention this again later mm-hmm. on at some, in a future episode, but when they got set up, uh, they got some negative reviews. They went and beat the guy up. Wow. Um, so Apparently fascist. they eventually became friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I know. Ridiculous. So, but wait, we never got to the thing. Sorry. Yeah. Because it's true. Uh, they think that they're unworthy. They need the army for practical reasons, but they also need them to somehow keep them in check. Um, and, but by the end, don't forget, by the fourth section, they, Marinetti, whilst he's in his plane, actually says, yes, we are worthy of leading this great horde. So he does find himself worthy. There's, there's a question of whether they are appropriate leaders at this beginning, in this beginning, that, yeah, their head is full of this peacock stuff. I and guess they it, had to, I guess they had to kill the moonlight. Yeah, and even, uh, but even after that, after they're flying over the woods and these sheep, he's saying, oh, how I used to, I used to love these things. But no, you know, ba- banish the nostalgia. We have to get rid of it. Mm-hmm. And we see this again, we'll see this again in Against Passaist Venice. But... At, at least there are, there are doubts, but there are doubts there, no? Like, here there are doubts where oh, no, in the manifesto God there, there are. Is. Yeah. Or rather, that there are, because could you, could you have st- stood the man? Could oh, you have stood him? He was so self-assured that, I yes, I, I was always worthy of leading them. Yeah, he is very self-assured. I think that's part of what I find off-putting. And also that there are these apocalyptic scenes of mm. crusade-like... Violence descending upon a city, similar to you know Jerusalem being attacked, or something, and the streets ran with blood. That type of thing. I think that's some Which Gita is, stuff, though. Oof, yeah. I mean, don't forget that the the Gita in that section of the Mahabharata, the whole thing is about the war between the Pandavas and the Karuvas. Mm-hmm. That's when they're actually on the battlefield. Um, or rather, it's actually Krishna teaching Arjuna how to not accumulate bad karma for killing his relatives. And people have brought what's him the, up. What's the trick? No, <laughs> that's the yoga that you learn from the Bhagavad Gita. Ah, <laughs> yeah. And I always thought yoga was... No, it's a, yeah, it's a way of actually... You can get into really heavy stuff about necessitarianism and all sorts of things with it. 
Because it's about, you still fulfill the actions, but you somehow detach yourself in the right kind of way. Hmm. Um, even though there is no self. Let's not. Let's not, <laughs> let's not go down that path. Let's not. Let's not go down that path. Well, well there is Atman. That's Buddhism where there's an Atman. Sorry. We, See, what did I say yeah. about not going down that path? No, I know. Yeah. But here, here there is another point where he does mention women in a less... Uh, I guess vain, crassly, offensive way. Some of them immediately wanted to brandish the shining bell towers like ivory batons. Others began to sit in a circle and toss around the cupolas like balls. The women were combing their remote cloud tresses with the sharp points of a constellation. So they were That's quite wonderful. making themselves. Those are the mad. Uh, yeah, you're right. That is still super sexist. Ah, damn it. I mean, they've got a nice comb. No, it's true. It's the but, constellations. <laughs> but I still found that quite beautiful. And th- there's a... That'd make a pretty penny on eBay. <laughs> there's a... I'm selling. A constellation. <laughs> yes. Yeah, comb. Those constellations... That, that use of stars mm. is one of the few uses of stars that doesn't seem confrontational. Which I, I don't know why they're, they they're so... They hurl their defiance at the stars. They hurled their defiance at the stars, then the stars... Um, Paolo Buzzi was unable to sleep because his body kept giving a start, pricked by the poisonous stars that assailed us on every side, although those, are, those were just bees, apparently, yeah. buzzing around the purple rose of his will. Again, lovely color imagery there. Mm-hmm. Again, that odd... What color does a will have? Obviously, it's purple, Ariel. Oh, well, that's obviously true. Well, his will... <laughs> You're right that there's something that, that, that they like about the, this kind of red, purplish, wine-coloured, dark pink, or th- these kinds of shades. Um, yeah, there is something to that. I'm not, I, hadn't I, I don't really that before. know why, but yeah, the purple is a recurring oh, theme here. Hold on. Wine runs through the streets hold of on. gout. One of, the, one of the things that they say crass, early on, maybe, but yeah. that they will give value to blood, they'll show you how to spill blood. That's from the first section. Mm. Maybe that's the true from, color of blood. It might be all that from, stuff from about a man the will. Who's, from a man who's clearly never seen any. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but those uh, from the first section. Uh, those ears, agile so- soldiers with sharp bayonets, glorify the power of bread that is transformed into blood, which shoots straight up to the zenith. You must know that blood has no value or splendor unless it has been freed from the prison of the arteries by iron or, fr- or fire. So, no, it could very well be that, um, and that somehow the will is nothing if not charged by blood or something like that. Mm. I, I think it's actually a pretty good interpretation. That, that there's something there. Yeah, that, that those kinds of darker, darker reds, purples, something there. Very much the, the flaming purple. So there's one more thing I want to bring up about... <clears throat> the lifeblood, yeah. About one. Yeah. There's one more thing I want to bring up about one. At the end, he says, as I turned my back. Now, this isn't said by the character. This is, it has no quote, quotes around it, which is why I say that, that it's a bit strange to see who's speaking to who. Hmm. But as, as I turned my back, I could sense from the pain in my spine that for too long, in the great black net of my speech, I'd been dragging along that moribund populace like a heap of fish that are flapping ridiculously beneath the last flood of light thrown by the evening against the cliffs of my forehead. 
Ah, oh, yes. Yes. Now, on the one hand, he's speaking to... He's, he's talking about the people that he's been giving this speech to. Mm. That that's how he's been carrying them. But I think you can also interpret that as something to do with words and freedom. Something to do with his desire to break language from its stifling passeist shell or something like that. No, I think you're exactly right there. I wrote down on, on for my notes here, jarring image <laughs> doesn't play nicely. <laughs> so, yeah, no, I, I think you're, you're right. There is something... Uh, oh, we will come to this when we look at his... In the writing. net of his speech. Yeah, the net of his... He does and, and also, seem to mix metaphors a lot. Yeah. Which makes understanding him very difficult, and most people would say never, ever do that. But I, I tend to agree, but... There's also something else here where there's a slight meta aspect to the stuff he's doing here because he he himself is the the great manifestoist man, right? Yes. The manifesto man. Yes. We, we, we could call him, and he'd have a, a really lame cape. I am the manifesto man. Yes, <laughs> like that. <laughs> and he is in. He's written a manifesto in which he is manifestoing pretty hard on a bunch of people. Yes. In this manifesto. So, y- y- you could read these sidelong comments as broader sidelong comments about manifestoing broadly. You're not buying it. You could. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Look, I was reaching. I was reaching with that one. Yeah, I'm not sure. I think you lost me a little bit there along mm-hmm. the way. I wasn't quite prepared to, to go with you. I, uh, yeah, it is, I, it's just such a jarring image. It's, it is moving. It, you know, it does make you stop and mm. think about it. I, so you're absolutely right, I think, to, to bring it up. And yeah, it is that words <laughs> in freedom. <laughs> I think it's about words of freedom. The, re- the, the, the rest yeah. you can toss it, but the words and freedom thing I stand by. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> we had all that thing about the manifesto man. But so, about <laughs> I stand by the manifesto man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So after they've, they've gone and they've attacked gout and paralysis, even yeah. though gout and paralysis still seem to, to sort of be the inhabitants. there, have fled to the yes. mountains, to Gorisankar. Uh, no, they've not actually... They, they haven't got to... They okay, they, to they've, they've fled. But they have fled, yeah. They're fleeing towards Gorisankar. They will eventually flee towards... Well, towards. that's why they're crossing into, uh, you know... Uh, what does he say? The Ganges, he says, no. He does later on. Yes. Uh, uh, but also, the, uh, we crossed the ruins of Europe and entered Asia, scattering the terrified hordes from gout and paralysis, like a sower tossing his seeds with a huge sweeping gesture. And that's at the end of uh, part two. So, yeah, they are, they're chasing them to the ends of the earth. Mm-hmm. They're chasing them to the ends of the earth. But then, as they've done this... Mm. Are we moving on to part three? Yes. Okay. The moon peaks yeah. a little bit. Darkness descends. The but little by little, the faint and warm smile of the moon peeked over the tattered clouds, and when she finally appeared, dripping with the intoxicating milk of acacias, the madmen felt their hearts jump right out of their chests and descend towards the upper surface of liquid night. That's nice. That's nice. That's it is nice. Way. He has these, these moments that are so beautiful between the insane militarism. But ascend toward the upward surface of liquid night. Mm-hmm. 
why their hearts is unclear to me, but it, it's it will become apparent that their their main problem here is that they're becoming tired, they're becoming drowsy. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's interesting, what's fascinating is the moon it, is lulling them yeah. into some kind of state. But before we get there, there's this little. Uh, there's this little passage that I said this is the accidental sacrifice just as this is happening we suddenly get a loud cry pierced the air a noise rang out and everyone ran in its direction it was a young madman with pure eyes struck by lightning on the railroad tracks his corpse was immediately hoisted up between his hands he was holding a white and desirous flower whose pistol quivered like the tongue of a woman some wanted to touch it, and it was evil, for then, with the motion of, dr- of dawn stealing over the sea, a sobbing v- verdure... Oh, dear. <clears throat> a sobbing what? <clears throat> verdure. 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 Rapidly rose from the earth, which was curling now with surprising uh, undulations. Now, we have this death just after the, the moon, uh, moon beginning to rise. Mm-hmm. Uh... It's, I said it was an ac- accidental sacrifice because they get struck by lightning from the railroad tracks. It seems that they've actually died in in the pursuit of of, of the railroad of futurism. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but there's this flower in their hand. It's a symbol of the past, right? It's something that's too sensitive. Something that's sensual. The purple rose of his will. But this is white. Desirous. Oh, it's, shit. It's, Damn it. It's, it's, I thought it was it's, perfect. I no, it's, had it. It's I had the, it cinched. It's yeah. the lull of nostalgia, right? Mm-hmm. It's the lull of nostalgia. Many are wanting to touch it, but no, no, no. Don't touch it. It's evil. Right. Um, and then after that, sleep really starts to set in. Mm. And we see... <clears throat> a soft sleep was slowly overcoming the army of the mad, who began to howl with terror. Hmm. And that's when we have the beasts impetuously hastening to help them, so they get in their cars. Three times the tigers curled as tight as balls. And, and it's amongst all this horror where they're becoming tired. You know, this is, this is the, they're not up to it. You can never be up to it because your body will let you down. You will fail. That's why you've only got 10 years. That's why you need to be surrounded by others who are going to keep you in check to, to make sure that you're not becoming a sentimental to make sure that you are just raw energy and passion so they decide we're going to kill the moon we're going to kill the moon and how do they do it well they stab it no that's not right they don't stab it with rays of light with rays electric of electric light. light of course of course with their beating electric creative hearts and they, they went out into a field and imagining something like 50 people, maybe 300. And they held up some lights to the moon. Yeah, so it was at 300 electric moons with rays of blinding chalky whiteness. It's unclear whether, uh, whether somehow or other, I'm assuming that they, these are the lights from the cars, because that's the one that Marinetti's holding earlier on with the two psychiatrists. But I, I just love the idea that they've got them, they're holding them in their hands and you've got this rather a feet image yeah. <laughs> of these people holding these lamps going, we're killing the moon. We're killing- Take that, I moon. Know. <laughs> I know. I know. I think what they're hoping for is something like the image uh, from 300 where, yes, our arrows will blot out the sun. But in this case, 
It's these lights from our automobiles. We have our modern electric lights overcoming this uh, 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 terrible, sensitive, uh, and just backward-looking light. This backward-looking light that has lit so many things in the past that they want to get rid of, that has been such an inspiration to people they want to overcome. Yeah. That also has feminine uh, undertones. It does, it does. Mm -hmm. um, this is something that all of them... Uh, in fact, there's another manifesto that we'll very briefly touch on a little bit later on, which is uh, we abjure our symbolist masters, the last lovers of the moon. In fact, I'll just cover the moonlight imagery now. Do it now, go for we're, it. We're, we're, what what does it mean? So, yeah, it's, it's a fantastic... This is uh, from a later piece. This is from Le Futurism of 1911. And uh, it's, I'll just read out the title again. We abjure our symbolist masters, the last lovers of the moon. So here we see a problem with their past, as well as we'll get something more out of the moon. So there are two relevant sections from this manifesto about regarding the moon. Um, so the symbolist masters, of course, being... Uh, uh, these will be people like uh, Edgar Allan Poe, Baudelaire, uh, Verlaine... Mm -hmm. Um, Rambo, yeah. yeah. Uh, these will all be the simplest painters. So yeah. they once loved them, now they hate them. <laughs> because, but what they hate more is modern symbolists who are trying to carry on the tradition. They're thinking, no, 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 you can't, you can't be looking backwards like that. But they, there are two, uh, especially two sections here. Every pine woods madly in love with the moon has a futurist road that crosses it from end to end. Um, so uh, th this is especially interesting, I think, because we have the f a futurist road as well as the moon with these pine woods. So Thank you. here we go. It's the railroad. Uh, yeah. So, but we also have th these th sentiment and certain aspects of the natural world. We said in the first one that he actually is, seems to like some aspects of the natural world. Here he really is starting to... To turn. To, yeah. Uh, because of the moon. Yeah. That's he thinks that it's all sentimental. He, he thinks that, no, 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 it's taking up space where we should have, um, uh, we should have a playground to, to let loose our... We want more electricity creation. and power and so on. Yeah. I mean, he, was, uh, what, he chose futurism, but he happened to... Uh, as two of the other names that he thought about calling the movement, because, of course, it's named. That's one of the unique mm -hmm. things about these manifestos in the 20th century. They start to define themselves rather than retrospectively defined uh, or taken their names from critics yeah. or historians. Exactly. So, but the, the, two, two of the other ones were... He thought about calling it dynamism or electricity. <laughs> um, I mean, electricity would have, been, um, would have been really good branding, I think. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, it wouldn't. No, Futurism is a great name. I think Futurism is the right name, name for them, especially since in the first one he does imagine them being supplanted. Hmm. And he says, with whatever things that they will have us, we'll be huddled around an old aeroplane engine for warmth. So mm -hmm. he, if he'd have chosen electricity or dynamism... Would not have worked. Yeah, what would have, what would have come next? Maybe something else. Dynamism is, is, a, is very telling of... very descriptive of the, of the paintings and the art. Mm. But not of free verse, not of... The broad philosophy of futurism that is mm. definitely what he wants to, to do. So but, what yeah, does I, the moon mean for them? Well, I'll, uh, I'll give a little bit more just because they talk about the pine woods and the madly in love with the moon. The simple doleful reign of endlessly soliloquizing vegetation is over. So mm. they're hating some aspects of William Wordsworth's natural world. Mm -hmm. uh, um, but we also have here 
um, some declarations. What they are against, some romantic sentimentality dripping with moonlight that mm. is ascending toward an ideal and fatal woman beauty. Right, that's exactly so what I said. Yeah, yes, yeah. yes, yes. No, you're absolutely right. And um, in future manifestos such as uh, saint Poise, a Manifesto of Woman, um, uh, and uh, Manifesto of Lust, the idea of Claire de la Lune uh, and... Yeah, the moon is, is the most yes, sentimental deeply. thing. Yeah, and it's all wrapped up. The most up. sentimental thing. It's, it's a pale, soft light that is useless as light. But he starts to equivocate. It's, he equivocates between all of these things. Mm-hmm. The moonlight is, is just the past. It's the museums. It's the old world. It's also bad because other people liked it and they celebrated it. It's also bad because we have problems with women and we imagine women in the moon. All these myths about that the sun is uh, a man. Equivocation, but also... I don't know if it's exactly equivocation. It's more that that's the cultural place he sees the moonlight as having. But they start to bleed into one another. Mm-hmm, and they're not, they they're, they're not clearly... Um, they're not clearly delineated concepts. No. 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 Certainly no necessary or sufficient conditions for, for moonlight bashing oh, here. Oh, there you go. You can yeah. really tell. Had to do it. Had to do it. A couple of philosophers start doing Just this. Just the yeah. worst. Yeah. Uh, but uh, from this manifesto, I do want to add... In section one of, uh, of um, Let's Kill the Moonlight, mm-hmm. we've got what, the futuri- what is the futurist? A futurist is the artillerymen, and we're just constantly firing away. In this manifesto that we abjure our symbolist masters, we have this wonderful image of, with us begins the reign of the man whose roots are cut. The multiplied man who merges himself with iron is fed by electricity and no longer understands anything except the sensual delight of danger and quotidian heroism. And I just love that. I think that was so succinct there. Um, the roots cut. Yes, we know, of course, that mm-hmm. we come from these old things, but we don't care. We don't want to hear sure. it from the first one. Here is the multiplied man. And think about the images... Uh, of the futurist paintings that we're going to be looking at, how they've got this cubist element going on where you've got several, the same object at several points of time or from several spatial perspectives, or even both, so there's different spatial and temporal perspectives. But we've also got him being merged with iron. Think of Marinetti as he's coming out of the ditch, covered in metal flake. Um, and ultimately with Boccioni's sculpture... Uh, that, that we'll eventually get to. This is such a strong and uh, evocative image, I think. Mm-hmm. And that's really what I... What, if you have to think of futurist human beings, that's what they are. Th- they are these mechanical hearts. Yeah, Because they, they don't want to sleep. I, I They think, want to be raw action. No, that's true. I, I think, in a sense, they did kill the moonlight. Hmm. Not in the sense that they meant, I think. But the moonlight is today kind of dead. Ah, mm-hmm. you're talking about city pollution, light pollution. I kind of am. I kind of am. I yeah. mean, the moonlight is, has been blotted out by electric light. Not art students standing in a field pointing their lighters at the light like, like these people were, but... But yeah, a, a, lo- a lot of these things have come to pass. A lot of futurism is very, very, very embedded mm. in, in our day-to-day aesthetic experience. And I think in the minds of, of loads of people. 
Well, doesn't he say? Mm-hmm. How many are we? A few thousand. Well, this isn't enough. Sure. Even, even in, in modern art, you don't have symbols the way you did in symbolism. You don't, you don't have that type of thing happening. You, you might in movies or in things that, most, that many people enjoy. Mm. But... Like oranges in The Godfather for death. Yeah, exactly. Even though I heard that that's supposedly not true and just coincidence, I don't know what to believe anymore. Who cares? It then be- it has you know clearly then become I guess oranges then yeah. become death or destroyer of worlds. <laughs> sorry, That's very appropriate. Sorry, very... Oppenheimer quotes from the Gita. Yeah, yeah. Now we're back to the yeah. Gita. Oppenheimer t- red red. Yeah, I, I don't know. Don't don't love that guy. But since we are on uh, on Oppenheimer and Marinetti, both both pulling from the Gita for for doing great things. (laughs) Well, before we go back to um, uh, two other things, just I want to mention from this the symbolist masters uh, manifesto that he is, I would like you to read out the precursors, um, the people that he still appreciates from the past. Okay, so he still appreciates Emile Zola. Walt Whitman, Rosini Aene, author of Le Bilateral and La Vague Rouge, Paul Adam, author of Le Trust, Octave Mirabeau, author of Les Affaires Sont Les Affaires, to Gustave Kahn, creator of Free Verse, to Verheiren, a glorifier of machines and tentacular cities, Futurism with the great poets Pietro, Gian Pietro Lucini and Paolo Buzzi leading the way, is launching free verse in Italy, and then he, he goes on and yeah. extols who, who, who you'd think he would for painters. It's so weird to me that he likes Emile Zola. Yeah. I don't know why. Because Emile Zola is... He's great, mm. but, you know, definitely... I get... I get he, he, his characters have emotions, and uh, he's not all about machines, and he wasn't an anti-Semite. I, mm. I, don't, I don't know why he likes him as much as he does. No, and, and Whitman, he's a surprise. Walt Whitman... I don't know Walt Whitman enough to to be perplexed that he's included in this list. But well, from what I all, do, it's amazing he's, he's, that he likes anyone of the past, right? Because <laughs> he says, "Yeah, once upon a time, I loved Edgar Allan Poe. I loved Baudelaire. I'm what, indebted what, immensely to them." Walt Whitman was a humanist, no? Yeah, uh, I he believe not? so. I believe so. Oh God, I should know this. But, uh, do you, do, 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 do you know the ra- I mean, Mirabeau, yeah. But no, what's also mm-hmm. fantastic is, in his mind, he, he gives us a little bit of theory. He says who he thinks uh, is the creator, um, the progenitor of free verse, Gustave Kahn. To Verheiren. Verheiren, glorifier of machines and tentacular cities. Yeah, so there you go, this idea of free verse. He gives us someone to look up. He gives us... Someone to further. I don't change. understand why free verse is included in futurism. I don't really get why. Well, because it's breaking up meter, and uh, it will also break up invariably. So within, and so w- within 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 poetry, it would yeah. be the bleeding edge of getting rid of the past, right? Yeah. Well, I mean, very yeah. important. I mean, already something like blank verse, which is. I mean, it's just lines of iambic pen. Uh, so it's. I mean, that, yeah, that makes that makes that makes tons of sense. It's, it's such a strange. 
it's so strange to have his his love of machines and have it coupled with this completely romantic view of art. Well, I mean, he's a poet, right? So maybe he still is interested it's in so some strange. parts there's of such a, There's such a strong. He says he likes free verse thought here. in my head that, that those two things can't possibly go together. Well, he says but he, he says he likes free verse, yeah. but he's copying the well. Hold on, Gita, and he he's definitely not doing free verse. When he does, it gets kind of confusing. No, wait for this mm-hmm. because uh, he's enjoying his car engines. Mm-hmm. He's hearing the tick over. Da dum da dum da dum da dum. That's iambic. So he's there, he's getting his meters in, and then if they're slightly dodgy pistons misfiring and all yeah. that, he's getting his mixed rhythms in. Maybe he, it, the engine cuts out, and he has to start it up again, he's got his azuras. He's got enough poetry from his car when it comes to meter. Yeah. The engine playing <laughs> up and just hearing it, ba bum ba bum ba bum ba bum. He's thinking, oh, I'm sick of, I'm sick the of this bombs. He loved it. But yeah, I think. What does the moon then mean? Well, no, we've covered what the moon we've means. Covered, we've yes. covered what the moon means. Yes. What do you think of, of four? What do you think of, of the end? Ah, oh, yes, very briefly. What do you think then. of the end, very briefly? And because then I think we need to move on to the most important thing, which we have not yet done. What? Which is how we would have reacted at the time. Of course. Yeah, uh, so it's very strange. You think that they've climaxed already, right? They've killed the moonlight. No, oh, but the it's, sex stuff is just about oh, to begin. Gosh, yeah, you've killed oh. the moonlight. Where else is there to go? Mm. It's literally called Let's Kill the Moonlight. You've done it. You've set out. You, why is this? But no, they have to pursue them across the Ganges. Um, and they reach the Indian Ocean. And they, they enlist the ocean's help. <laughs> and the ocean obliges them. Yes. And so to get, it starts so to circle around them, follow them across the land, and they turn around away with the ocean behind them, storming ahead in with their panthers and lions and uh, jaguars. Um, and the ocean is taking up the rear. It's compared to this cavalry. And that's when Marinetti says, my brothers, you can imagine that these are the commanders, mm-hmm. Paolo Buzzi and all these others. We're about to get overtaken. We have to be at the front lines. We have to speed up. Let's take off. So they make these planes out of pagodas and the canvas of sailing boats and take off. And it's from that point onwards, it's just them chasing down these hordes from uh, gout and paralysis. But what's fascinating is you always think that they're on the run, that they're, that they're being stamped out. What's fascinating is that he says, no, 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 they are numberless. They are numberless. He will never win. The futurist will never, never win. And they say, are we afraid? No, we're not. We're still unafraid. We will continue this pursuit. And we've even got the ocean behind us. It's very strange. For the first time, you actually see him say, no, no, this is a never-ending battle. This is never... And you can't actually win. This is the hurling defiance at the stars. You'll never, you'll never win. Well, he does say this at the start. The soul must, must, do you understand launch the body into the flames against the enemy, like a fire ship, against the eternal enemy that we would have to invent if it didn't exist. Mm. Yeah. Eternal enemy is one of the most, like, fascist phrases I've ever heard. But it's essential. It's essential for this. And I think, in a way, it's essential for a lot of stuff. <laughs> it's essential for yeah. so many things. Yeah. It's essential to the way philosophy is written. Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's essential to, to so much. 
Yeah. But no, and Justin Ford, we've already mentioned it, so we, there's no need to go into too much detail now. But just to say that it's, it, it is in this fourth when they're in the plane and they're saying, yes, they are numberless. And we want, that he also says, he looks down, he sees the forests and he sees parts of nature and he, he remembers how much he loved it. And he just says that, no, 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 we can't have this nostalgia. We cannot have this nostalgia. Just trying to find, uh, oh, my soul, how you used to love them. No, no, that's the end of it. You'll never enjoy such insipid things again. Never. The reeds that we once shaped to shepherd's pipes have now gone to form the framework of the plane. Plane. Nostalgia. Triumphal inebriation. Hmm. And so it's very strange. And at the beginning of the We Abjure Our Symbolist Masters, the past lovers of the moon, he says, we have sacrificed everything to the triumph of this futurist conception of life. So th- there is this element of tearing oneself apart. There's a comfort in sentimentality, and he's, he's constantly dragged back, but he thinks, no, 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 it's raw passion. That's what it has to be. The intoxication of playing marbles with death. Yeah. One must simply create, because creation is useless, unrewarded, ignored, despised, in a word, heroic. Oof. And that's what he says in the against the symbolist masters so, uh, which I think complements the first and this one it does, it does. very very well I, I also thought playing marbles with death was very nice. pretty lame <laughs> <laughs> playing marbles with death yeah uh, anyway um, well you know what are <laughs> it's people like playing weird. now I mean maybe maybe mar- like maybe there were high stakes marble games back then yeah. but I, I just have never never been invited to a high stakes <laughs> marble game but you're a young artist. Yes. Now you're. It's probably not France. You're in some secondary Italian city, um, Turin, maybe. Walking around, you've got a paintbrush in hand, and you, you you've just stolen it from a from a house painter, and you're off to make your painting. Yes. What do you think? What do you think? You've just read this in I've some read the publication. First manifesto. You've read the first. And that left me gobsmacked. I was mm-hmm. bowled over and thinking, yes, I immediately tried to get my hands on a car. Mm-hmm. I got a dodgy one. Of course. Instantly broke down. Yep. <laughs> but it doesn't matter. I still have one. Yep. And I've read this. I'm ready to go to war. If Marinetti says, listen, we need to kill some people, I say, yep, but who's getting shot? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Young, no, if you are tired... It's always the case that the younger it, it, it generations will want to make And a also, mark, right? there hadn't been, in Europe, a great cataclysmic event like the one he's describing, yet. <laughs> no, yeah. So you could, you, could, you could still think, oh, there's such glory in war, because the wars were only happening down there in the colonies. Yeah. Um, although Italy, I think, was the first one to, to hideously bomb people. Mm. Um, yeah. I think in, I think in Ethiopia. But I don't want to be... I don't want to make a terrible mistake. Mm. But that hadn't happened yet. So it was, this no. was still quite exciting. There was still... I don't know. Maybe, who knows? Maybe getting shot isn't that bad. <laughs> well, we it's don't exciting. see anyone it's, it's, dying. It's very exciting. No, on our side, you know. And I'm, yeah. I'm imagining that we're on the futurist side. Well, of course. We're the people... And it's a never-ending battle. But it's heroic. And it's... it's it's put in this in this wonderful language that is vivid uh, and evocative. Mm-hmm. And there's this ebb and flow to it that 
will make you rise to the heights of delirium, kind of. There is delirium. If you're following... No, there is, but that's the point. Yeah. And then he'll bring you down softly with these really beautiful bits. Mm-hmm. These really beautiful images. So you're constantly thrown back and forth. So and I, I think that's exactly what you want to, to inspire you. Because you, know? you, you see the, the force and the possibility of this movement. A very strange movement. Very exciting. Yeah, also, if, if I were... As, as an artist of the time that I've... I've yeah, please. I, I don't know what I've done now. I've probably had 12 to 15 espressos at this yeah. point. It's, it's about 12 in, in the afternoon. <laughs> I'm, I'm vibrating. Yeah. I've also just crashed and destroyed my car, which I stole. Mm. I'd also be quite excited. <laughs> so I'd like it. It'd be good. Yeah. I... I I think if I'm also a poet, mm-hmm. then I might spot in terms of the form. It resembles the first manifesto, which was we have this little prosy beginning, then the actual list, and then a little summary at the end. Here, what we've got is this uh, theory at the beginning. So it's kind of inverted. Mm-hmm. We have the declarations. There are no clear declarations, but the major the, uh, the major thought uh, goes in at the front, and then we actually get the thought play out in this narrative mm. uh, that's, uh, that is of a war and it's told in such an exciting way. You can't actually see anyone dying. It's not, it's not vivid like that. It's more just... Yeah, there's no gore. Yeah, it's the idea of like battles of the gods and things like that. You know, no one actually dies. It's just heroic, never-ending battles. They're constantly clashing swords and things like that. There's no... There is blood, but no, no death, really, apart from the two psychiatrists... Um, oh yeah, no, they they were beaten to death. They yeah. were beaten, they to, were death. beaten to death. Or, or shined. Or shined <laughs> to death. Shown to death? Shined. Shined. Alright. Concluding thoughts, did you like it or not? Do you think it's uh... I I liked it, but it's very it's maybe too too worry for me. Um, too worry. Yeah. In the end in the end it wound up feeling too worry. But I like it. I like it. Very exciting. Very exciting. It is exciting. It's not always clear. Um, no, uh, because it's quite confusing. His his style. He, as I said, he uses hyperphoria, so he he gives these questions and answers them himself. Uh, he's also he loves ellipsis. I mean, it's unclear. He'll speak of how the time. futurists and then of us madmen and the madmen. Yeah, it's a bit difficult to to place everything. The time is is. Uh, it, but I think that adds to the delirium. Know, the, I think. The, 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 yeah. Uh, and lots of single words just going, no, no, yes, war, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. Um, look, and I've done all these things. And you, you, you can almost imagine it as if th- these are random voices, mm-hmm. almost sometimes, because it's so fragmentary. Um, of course, it is all Marinetti, ultimately. Like, yeah, you have to, he's too vain to have anyone else exactly, but himself speak. But, but it, it, it really does have an unsettling feel to it. So, yeah, I think we say it's, it's one of the more evocative i think the next two are going to be more heavy uh on the theory side yes and definitely visual definitely very non-heavy on the writing side (laughs) no they're they're a lot less exciting they're a lot less florid and evocative Um, well in terms of the words yeah yeah well because 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 they aren't poets Mm. Yeah, no. Even though supposedly Marinetti will have come in and Scientist. spruced it up yeah. towards the end. But in any case, what's next week? 
Next week, we have the uh, Futurist Manifesto of Painters. Yes. And then the week after that, the, the technical Futurist Technical Manifesto, manifesto of Painters. So, so um, the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about paintings. Mm, art theory. And we'll look at a few examples. And, of course, the perfect medium for it... Is <laughs> audio. Exactly. But no, thank you very much again for listening to the second episode of the Manifest Image Podcast. We hope you enjoyed.